Hey, what's happening, podcast world? Joel Clayfish coming to you from Wisconsin on the Foul Life Podcast. Man, it's cold up here, but we got a special guest today who's going to heat things up. Dave Nelson joins us. Dave was the state goose calling champion of 2018. And I'll tell you what, when you are in the blind or when you're laying out somewhere and you got geese, Deciding to take a highway to Illinois, there's one guy I know who can turn him around, and that's Dave Nelson. Man, being out there with you, Dave, is a treat. I got to tell you, once you start hammering on those calls, I've seen geese do a 180. So welcome to the Foul Life Podcast, Dave. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. What, uh, whatever got you started in calling geese, and how'd you ever decide that uh, that was going to be something you were going to do and get serious about? You know, when... Uh... When I was growing up, all my dad really did was pheasant hunt. And we would go to North Dakota pheasant hunting when I was too young to hunt. And then when I finally uh, passed hunter safety and we went to North Dakota, he ended up bringing some honker decoys with. We did some field hunting. And to be honest with you, I don't even think I shot a goose. But just waterfowl hunting in general, I was addicted. And on the way back from that trip, I got my first goose call, which was a flute. And a couple DVDs and, and that... I mean, I was just all in. It was nothing but waterfall. I would just watch DVDs, study DVDs. That year, we went to a couple shows, and uh, I got my first short read call. And right off the bat, it was I wanted to blow contest. Like when I found out that there were, there was. I'm I'm just a competitive guy. I mean, I played hockey growing up, and and when I found out that there was competitions for goose calling, well, I want to do that. So I was 12 years old. I would have been 13 when I did my very first one, and I didn't even I didn't even place, you know. But back then, you know, now you've got YouTube, you've got all these different sources to where you can learn to call. The way I learned to call was in the house, and when my parents would get mad, I would go to the garage, or I would go in the closet with the door closed, and there was there was nothing. I mean, there were CDs that you could put in a car, and you know, it would it would talk you through it. Um, but you just don't have, there wasn't the sources like the, there are now. I mean, the, the, the way I did it was trial and error. And when there was something that was hard for me to figure out, I'll never forget the, the one note I could not figure out was a spit note. I could not get a spit note. And uh, I ended up running into Scott Trinan at, a, um, at an expo. And he was the first one, well, I shouldn't say he's the first one, but he was the first CD that I, that I bought that taught you how to call. And I was, you know, talking to him about how to get this note. And he gave me his phone number and he said, well, why don't you call me sometime next week over the phone? I can try to help you. Did and you believe him did. when he said it? No, I did not believe him at all. But the, that next week I thought the heck with it. And I called him and he answered. And, um, you know, I, I started to get a spit note down. And that's how I learned. You know, I, I didn't have, you know, the, the social media outlet or anything like that. Um, so it was all trial and error. And then I did my next contest that following year when I, I guess I would have been 15. And I took fourth. I did it the following year, took, I never, I never took first one in an intermediate. Um, and I wanna say I took first that year, then an intermediate, and then I had to go to the big leagues. And uh, the first one I did, I didn't place. And then life just kind of took over and, and I took like two years of, of not really competing. And then I got serious about it for two years in 2018 and 2019. 
and I won it back to back, the Wisconsin State. So I've got one year left that I can compete in the Wisconsin State. Um, and this year I think I'm, I'm going to get a lot more serious about it and, and travel a little bit more and hit a lot of these other contests. I don't know if you remember this, but the first time I ever met you was literally with your dad. We were walking into the same field so to hunt. I thought, about, I thought about this coming over here today. And other than we had one family friend uh, that I grew up with playing hockey that also goose hunted, you were the first person other than my dad that I ever goose hunted with. Yeah. That would have been 11, 11 years old. Well, and that, you know what's the craziest thing about that is that was at the very beginning of me learning to hunt. I mean, I came into hunting uh, much later in life. I was about 38, 39 years old before I ever knew what the magic of hunting was. And I had won, a, I had won an old shotgun, a pump-action shotgun at, at a banquet. And I thought, well, I better start to learn. And, you know, I didn't have a dad who was into it. And I didn't have friends who were into it at that stage of the game. That's probably why I'm the old guy running around with all you youngsters now. But I got that shotgun and I started, you know, reading sources that I could find. And, you know, back then, you keep saying back then, it wasn't all that long ago. You didn't have access to the internet and access to YouTube and, there weren't uh, fountains of knowledge everywhere. So I would just, I remember, I, I had like five or six decoys. I would go lay in the middle of a field in a ghillie suit and put the decoys in a circle around me. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I had a flute call. That was the first thing I, I had because they were easier to make something that sounded kind of close to a goose. Sure. And there was a, a day, a field right by our house across from the old Piggly Wiggly right in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And I was walking into the field and you were there with your dad and that's where, and you were just a young kid and that's where we met the first time. And lo and behold, who would ever know that we'd end up, you know, 12 years later, uh, 13 years later, hunting together on a regular basis. You'd become the state goose calling champion and I'm still uh, mediocre at best at calling. That's why uh, we like to have Dave along on the hunts. But I think part of what you can learn in that is that Calling and hunting is not set for a specific age. You can start young, and if you do have the exposure and have the help getting into it, that's fantastic. But you can also start old. There's never too late a time to start waterfowl hunting. So when, when you're out there hunting, and hunting, hunting's so different from calling competitions, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what's the difference between calling in a field and calling for a contest? Well... The contest side of things for, for goose, there's definitely some, some notes that you don't have to use. A, you know, a lot of people still use them in the field now if they know how to do them, but the, the duck contest side of things definitely seems to be, um, you know, a little, it's a little different. You don't use a lot of those notes, uh, but goose hunting, I'll use every note that I use in a goose routine in a field. Um, and it's, it's more, you, you picture, you, cl you close your eyes and your routine is supposed to flow and it's supposed to start with geese are off in the distance and they're approaching you. And as they're approaching you, you're calling, your calling gradually increases. And then there's, you know, you, you kind of lay back down and the birds are, you know, 60, 70 yards out and they flare. And then you have to hit them with a comeback call. And you hit them with that comeback call, they circle around, you're all excited again with your calling. They come back through, they're bowed up 50 yards out. And then you, you do that lay down mellow stuff again to, to finish those birds. That's the, in a nutshell, that's a goose calling routine. So a lot of those notes, you know, you'll hear a lot of guys will use those notes hunting as well, because um, it's 
a lot of the same stuff happens exactly. in hunting. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I, I'm pretty jacked, to be honest with you, because not only do you have a history as a champion caller here in Wisconsin, but you are sold on the jargon calls. I mean, you are now a jargon caller. Uh, you're using the jargon calls. Why don't you talk to me about some of the calls that you like? Yeah. And before we get too far away from how you just explained how the, the calling goes in a contest, why don't you grab one and show us what it's like sure. when they're kind of far out and then when they start getting a little closer and then when you have to do the comeback call. Lay that out for us. Yeah, Let's so, hear what that sounds like. So this call, my, my favorite call in the whole lineup is the wrecking ball. Uh, it's a little bit shorter call. Uh, the nice thing with that, that shorter mouthpiece is it's a very responsive call. So you can get really quick on it. They've got another call. It's called, called the crazy train. It's a, a big honker call, great sounding call. Uh, but you don't, you, you can still get that speed, but I just, I personally just really like the, the wrecking ball. Um, so do you want me to do, how do you want me to yeah, do Yeah, just give us a little cadence, uh, a kind of a, sh a shortened version of what you might be doing during a calling contest. When you first see them out there, then they're kind of getting closer. Then you got to make them come back and then settle them in for the shot. Okay. What? That is, that is crazy impressive, and there's a lot of practice that goes into that. I mean, there's no doubt. What, but just sitting here, you know, listening to you do the calls, and I've been next to you in a blind, you know, hundred times or so, and and hearing you be able to kind of determine what the geese are doing and try to bring them back in, it, that's super exciting. And then when you've got other guys next to you who are calling a little bit. Uh, that helps to add to to the bulk of the spread, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It, it helps, but it can also sometimes hurt. And when you get a lot of guys that are really good at calling in contest guys, contest guys are competitive, right? So, um, you know, our group, we're very fortunate. We're all really good friends, and we've got a lot of good callers, and everybody's on the same page where uh, you'll hear, you know, I'll, I'll talk to one of the guys, and we'll figure out who wants to lead that day, which, which would mean, you know, I, if, if you were going to lead, I would be listening more to what you're doing. And the guy that, this is how I personally feel, but the guy that's leading should be the guy in the group that can read the birds the best. Uh, I think that's more important than being a good caller um, is reading birds and yeah. knowing when to make those notes. People talk about that all the time, reading birds. What are they talking about when they say you got to read the birds? So knowing, and it, I mean, it's all very minute little things. You know, when, when birds are, are banking on a side, you watch, or they're coming over top. If they're, if they're still bowed up, if they're just gliding, and you can look at them, you see their head is just kind of going back and forth. Uh, a guy that knows if those birds are, say you're hunting out of an A-frame, 
and you've got birds that are coming, they're 50, 60 yards up, they're gonna work around the spread and they're gonna come right over you. You don't wanna be just hammering on them because birds, those birds are gonna get over top of you and they're gonna look right down where that noise is coming from. So you, you want somebody that understands the situation, is able to read a bird to know if, that's, if they're looking like they're interested, if they're, they're really not sure about it, you know, what note it might take to, to get them to do something different. And then the other people kind of go off of that guy. So, uh, you know, if that guy's calling really hard, really fast, everybody else calls really hard, really fast, or as fast as they can. Once that guy starts to slow down, those guys need to listen and know that, okay, he's not going, you know, all out right now. We need to kind of simmer it down too. And then as he speeds back up, you speed back up. So it goes right back to just like contest calling. There's that, that flow and that rhythm, and you want to carry that in the field with, with your buddies calling. Because if... If one guy that can read birds is, is doing something, if he's finesse calling or not calling a whole lot because the, the birds are committed or whatever it is they're doing, and you got two other guys that are just hammering on them, that doesn't help the situation. So, you, you, you know, calling, you all want to be on the same page, and I think that's the most important. Do you think it makes a difference when, when you're calling? I mean, you've got your spread in front of you, and that spread usually starts about 10 feet close to you. I mean, your first decoys are out usually somewhere in 10 to 20 feet near you. Mm -hmm. On the side, if you're trying to get them to bank against the wind and you want to side shoot them as they're coming in, or you, you know, you want those feet down in the decoys, so you leave that hole in front of you, you got your decoys on the side. But how cognizant do you think the geese are of where the actual noise is coming from? Oh, I think they know. I, I think they're very, very aware. Um, you know, the one thing, you know, when you and I first started hunting, the geese, they seemed like they were pretty dumb compared to what they are now. Um, I think overall, the amount of pressure, uh, yeah, I mean, even in this area, when we used to, you know, started hunting, it was just you and I. Yeah. yeah I mean, there was nobody else. I was trying to think, and you had one or two other guys that all of a sudden started to show up, but it's not like it is now. I mean, heck, there's seven or eight different groups of people. And that's why it's, I mean, it, that's why it's so important. You know, one of the things we talk about on the fowl life and the providers keeping public lands public. What we're seeing, I mean, as these suburbs, suburbs of all big cities, any state, pick a state, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Suburbs of Milwaukee continue to expand. That field you and I met each other on, that field we had a million successful hunts on is now a subdivision. Yeah. It's houses. So the places to hunt, even in a great flyway like the Mississippi Flyway here in Wisconsin, those places are shrinking. Mm -hmm. So we've got, and we want the numbers of bird hunters and we want the number of hunters to continue to grow, but what happens when the habitat continues to shrink, you got more and more people showing up at the same place, um, which also you know, leads itself to uh, compromising with other people who meet at the field. You know, you show up on a field, there's another truck there. And I think one of the greatest experiences I have in waterfowl hunting and one of the greatest experiences of waterfowl hunting is meeting new people and hunting with them, uh, at setting up your spreads. And that's always the great debate. And, you know, Dave, Dave earned himself a nickname through the years here. Uh, Dave Nelson's nickname is Decoy Dave. Because no joke, man, no matter what, he's always out there messing with the decoys. And sometimes it gets frustrating to, to your buddies, and, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes you get caught out there when the birds are coming. Yeah. But I, I think decoy placement is important, but I also think you, part of the realization that 
Those birds, when they're coming, especially if it's in larger flocks, all those sets of eyes, you can see their heads bobbing back and forth. They're looking, looking, looking. Mm -hmm. And I think it is very important to determine you know, if they know where the sound is coming from. Because if you're in a tree line where there are no decoys, and all of a sudden those birds are floating over the top of you, even if they're locked, they're going to be awfully suspicious if they, if they hear you know, calls coming from corn stalks. Right. Yep, exactly. And along with calling, like you, you were talking about decoy placement, I think decoys you know, are way more important now. Uh, you know, I, I see pictures and hear stories from my dad before I was born. He did a lot of goose hunting, and him and his brother would go to Canada, and they would shoot piles of geese. And they killed them over car tires, yeah. half of a car tire. And you hear that story from a lot, of, a lot of guys back in the day. That's what they used was car tires. Um, they didn't have the full bodies and the, the stuff we have now. Um, but everything evolves, and the decoys have gotten better. You know, and everything goes full circle, it seems like. Um, you know, you've got a flock of geese. Like you say, you've got all those eyes. You know, as the season progresses, things change as far as, you know, you got the molt migration in September. That's something that we always really look forward to. We've got a lot of local geese, but that first north wind that you get when those birds start to push, it's, we love hunting those, those, those high mi migrating geese. And we get away with giant silhouette spreads that time of year. How does your calling change as the seasons change? Oh, it changes a lot. That time of year, I'm super, super aggressive. And I will be on a call, and anyone who's with me that has a call, I will tell them to call until those geese, until we pull the trigger, basically. I mean, we, there's no, it's not a, a contest routine. It's not, you're reading birds a little bit, but it's more of a, as much noise as you can make, because they will be what looks like a mile high. And they hit that sound, and you got to have a lot of decoys or a lot of color out there to pull them. And those birds, I mean, they're, you've seen it. It's just wingtip to wingtip, and it is so freaking cool. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we'd be sitting there in the blind and we're just ripping out a call, ripping out a call. And you're looking up and they're, I mean, you're looking at them. It's like, there's no way that right. those geese are going to You wonder if they can even hear your calls. Yeah, right. And you, you keep ripping, you keep ripping. All of a sudden, boom, 10 of them break off. Yeah. And they're winking. Oh, winking. man, there is nothing better. Oh, it's, it's the best feeling ever. You know that you just tricked those birds and they keep coming, they keep coming. And I have a, it's a, every time, every single time when they get to that 100-yard mark and it's like, oh, my God, they're going to do it, I start laughing. <laughs> I can't call it. I cannot believe that we just did this. Um, but it is so cool to watch. I mean, I wouldn't even have to pull a trigger on them. To, to do that is just amazing. But at that time of year, like I said, we run huge, huge silhouette spreads, typically. We don't really get away with those silhouette spreads come November, December, right. January. There's no doubt that the geese, especially you know in Wisconsin, when, when they are hunted hard, and we, we hunt southeast Wisconsin. We hunt the most populated area of this entire state and, and arguably one of the most populated areas in the Midwest. We're hunting where there are a lot of hunters. There, now there's, there are a lot of geese, but those geese are seeing spreads uh, in every other cornfield. They're, seeing, they're hearing calls in every other cornfield. So of the jargon calls, do you switch calls when we're switching a strategy or a dynamic for geese? One thing I will do, so for a lot of that finesse, low-end calling, I like a shaved reed. And this is, this is getting technical, but I like a shaved reed. The, re the reed moves quicker because it's thinner. You know, you got material shaved off of there. Uh, you get a goosier sound, I think. Um, you can do those really cool low-end notes. Now with an unshaved reed, you get more power. 
So that call is going to be a lot louder. So on my lanyard, I'll, I'll usually have one of each. Um, if I had to pick one, only one to have on the lanyard the whole month of September, early October, it would be a powerful call, unshaped, because a lot of that is migrators and, and we're hunting a lot of traffic. Once we get our bulk of our birds that November, December, January, I try to, I don't call a whole lot anymore. I just try to sound natural. And you can do it with a, a unshaved reed as well, but I just like that shaved reed that time of year, that goosier, mellow, low end type stuff. You know, that is one of the debates. I mean, you get two guys who are great at calling, great at decoy setup. They're, they're hammering it out every morning, you know. And one will say, when the geese are in their final approach, leave them alone. Don't make a sound. You're going to throw them off of the decoys. Mm -hmm. And then you'll get the guy who says you got to pound them right until you, uh, till the gun's safely pointed at the sky and the safety comes off to shoot. Mm -hmm. Where do you land on that? It's, that's all reading birds. I will, I'll read them. And if, a, if we're hunt, we hunt a lot of X's as well. And if we're hunting an X and you know that there's 350 birds coming back the next day, I won't, I won't hardly call at all until the end. So I'm the opposite. And I learned, you learn, I mean, you learn it now on a, a lot of DVDs and videos, but the way I started learning it was scouting. And when you're scouting and you look at a field, however many geese are out there, they're usually pretty quiet. There's, you know, it's not like a park or, or anything like that. You'll hear a couple honks here and there, but you hear you know, little murmurs that you hear that kind of stuff. But then as a group of geese, whether it's a single or another flock of geese comes and approaches a spread, it's quiet until they're 15 or 20 yards. Yeah, why don't you grab a jargon and tell us which one you're using yeah. and then take us through what it's uh, what we should be sounding like or what you like to sound like when they're coming in to finish uh, right before the guns go. Yeah, so this is this is a, a wrecking ball again. Um, what I mean, I literally will not call. If they're coming and they're bowed up, I won't do much. I mean, I might give them a honk or two, just a just a real mellow. Nothing crazy. I don't want to blow them out. Just really, really mellow. And as they're approaching, when they hit that 40-yard mark and they're starting to really drop and you know they're going to do it, what will happen is you'll get birds that will short you sometimes, right? Yep. So they'll short you. Maybe they want to put down at that 40-yard mark. Well, if you hit them just quick spits or a cluck, you know, not everybody has to do it, but one guy. And what you're simulating is one bull upright honker, and he's trying to tell those geese to stay away from him. So this isn't an inviting call. It's that goose telling him to stay the heck away from me. I got my little family or my little flock over here. There's food here. Don't, this is our food. That's what he's saying. Well, in the air to those geese, it's like, oh, heck, that guy's trying to protect his food. We got, let's get up there a little bit closer. There's got to be food. And that, I, that's why you put the hole there, because you want him to avoid uh, that, you know, dominant goose and land in the hole. Exactly. So are you, so what about somebody who can't, isn't advanced and can't do the spit note or if you just a, a little moan? At you can probably sometimes. moan at the end if you that excited. It's like that excited pitch that gets them. And and again, I don't. I won't call a whole lot, but those, you've you've seen it with me. You know, they'll try to land at eighty yards. Yeah. And when they're ten feet off the ground, all of a sudden I'll just you know you get two. That or three happens guys. a lot. And and I guess I guess that's a lesson here. So you know, kind of show us what you would do in the scenario where they're, they're about to short you and you want to drag them in that last 30, 40 yards to make sure they're close enough for ethical shots. Yeah, and I'll do this when they're 50 yards out, 60 yards out. I'll start slow 
and then as they get closer to 40 yards, through, I pick it up real quick and then you'd kill them. But it would just be a And, you know, I, that's the thing with the jargon calls. I mean, they sound so natural. They sound so much really like geese. Uh, Fancy, my dog. Yes, my dog's name is Fancy. It was, <laughs> it was supposed to be camouflage, and, and, and the girls won, and it's Fancy, so it's Fancy Camo now, which is why I get to, that's why I wear banded gear, because it's Fancy Camo, that's right? That's right, that's right. So uh, the, the dog's uh, ears are perking up, and she knows, she thinks there's a goose around, so... The, the jargon calls really do have that natural, goosey sound. And for somebody who's new, um, new to calling, new to hunting, new to calling, and they're going to look for a call, which, uh, which of the jargon calls would you recommend that they get started on? And, and go through some basics as to how to get started on it. Yeah, if, if you're brand new, I would go with the crazy train. And the reason I say that is the longer you make a call, the more user-friendly it is. And uh, that's that would be the very if you're very first short read call. You're new to goose hunting, you're new to goose calling, you're picking up a short read, that's what I would go with. You can get all of your basics, you can do everything on that call that you would want to do. And you can do everything on that call that you can do on a wrecking ball. When you go to that wrecking ball, everything is shorter. Now when it's shorter, all your hand position, your, your, the way you present the air, tightening your diaphragm, everything has to be close to perfect. You know, it's not I wouldn't, if you're a beginner, you could definitely learn on it, but I, at the end of the day, that crazy train is gonna be easier to learn on. And then you could always step up to that wrecking ball. Um, but I mean, they're both amazing calls. Take me through uh, the crazy train. If you are, what are some of the first calls you should start to learn to do if you're just learning to goose call on a short read? Uh, the honk. I mean, that's the, the only thing you need. So how are you holding it? What are you doing with your mouth, your tongue? You know, what are some things to practice? And a lot of people don't realize the people who become elite at yeah. goose calling, mm -hmm. they're not just naturals at it. Uh, none of them are naturals at it. They're practicing quite a bit, aren't they? But practicing's fun. I mean, because you'll hit something that you've never hit before and you realize you can do it, then you try to do it again and you try to do it again and try to do it again. Yep. So what, do you, what are you doing? What are the dynamics of first blowing a goose call? So the first thing I tell people is to pick the call up. So you'd pick it up and I wish we, if we were doing the video, this would be easier, but you pick it up, you don't worry about your hands, don't worry about anything. And what you want is that hot air to come up. So when you're trying to you know, fog a window, that air that's coming out of your diaphragm, yeah, you'd really tighten up your abs and that's, that's the air. So you're tightening your abs yep, tighten and the air is coming more from your stomach than your lungs, or at least yeah. it feels like it's coming from your stomach. Yep, the, the best way I can explain it is, imagine someone's trying to punch you in the stomach. You know, you kind of, oh, you, you tense up. You like tighten that. it up. You tighten up. Like you're doing a sit up. Exactly. So that's the air that you want. That's super important. That's step one. You need the right kind of air. If you're puffing your cheeks, you'll never get it to work. So you need to tighten your abs, get that air, that hot airflow. And what I tell people is pick the call up, no hands on the on that insert, just, just pick the call up, blow into it, and it's gonna sound like a party horn. That's the noise you want to make. Happy New Year. Yep, and what you want is that consistent. You don't want it to be you don't want that. You want to get the, that's what you want. That's the first step is do that before anything else. You do that. And your tongue position, a lot of people will teach 
the tip of your tongue right behind your bottom teeth and you lock it there. I don't. Uh, I, I mean, it's usually in that area. I w I'm not gonna say I, I don't flip my tongue like you do on a flute, but it's not pin. I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to force the, you know, your tongue there. When, when geese are, are honking, their tongue is flipping all over the place. So, but you're basically settling your tongue in the area of the spot between the top of your lower teeth and, and, and the inside of your mouth. Correct, yep, right down there, just in a relaxed position. Um, I'm never, I'm never taking that tip and bringing it to the roof of my mouth. You know, I, I use what you're going to use is the the mid part of your tongue. That's what's going to be used to cut that air off. So you use that mid part of your tongue with your jaw, and when you do that party horn deal, you're gonna you're gonna blow that note, and then you're gonna take that mid to the back part of your tongue and just ram it to the the roof of your mouth, right in your palate. So you, you've got the middle of your tongue situated. And, while you're blowing, and in the middle of blowing that, you kick it up to the top of your mouth to shut that air off. Correct. And when you shut that air off in doing that, it's gotta be a pop. It's, it's not a slow, you gotta pop that. It's gotta hit hard, it's gonna roll over. And that's where you get that honk. Okay. Yeah, and you know, oddly, for as simple as you just explained that, and as easy as you explained that, like a party horn, oddly, that sounds very much like a goose, just mm -hmm. that one. I mean, and you don't have to be afraid to hit the field if that's the note you got, do you? If that's all you can do, then that's, yeah, all you have to do is honk at them. And then from there, you, you start adding your hands, you know, you get way more advanced. And in my hand positioning, you don't just grab this thing like a pipe. You don't just wrap your hands around the end and call it a day. I, again, this would be easier on video, but, I wrap, my middle finger comes back into my palm and it's on that edge of that call. My index finger is rolled around that insert and it just kind of lays around that edge and what you got is a triangle there. Now what that does for me is you can hear from the party horn, now I'm going to add one hand. That was just adding hand. So you're, you're adding back pressure is what, what you're, you're doing, doing. and that, that's kind of the next step. So you've got your basic party horn honk. Yep. And then once you add back, back pressure to it, it adds an entirely different dynamic. But I guess what I'm trying to kind of get across here is that I think a lot of people are intimidated to start using the short read. And I think it's very clear with the jargon calls. Go out there, get yourself a jargon call and, and learn the party horn honk. Uh, I, don't, I know that that's not the official word for it. <laughs> we'll but call it that. If, if you learn that, um, you're going to be able, once, once you get that, because I, I remember the feeling because, you know, I'm 50, but, you know, 38, 39 years old wasn't that long ago for me. And that first time that you get that, -da, you say, holy cow, that kind of sounds like a goose and you're going to be able to take it out there. And when you're in the middle of a field, nobody's going to be mad at you for practicing. No. You can practice all you want when you're in the middle of the field. That's right. Yep, that's the time to do it. Yeah, you're not going to get yelled at by the wife or the girlfriend or anybody like that. Yeah, when you're out with your buddies, just start calling. And the biggest thing I can, I can say is walk before you run. Because the minute you think you've got it, I mean, when I was 13 years old, I thought I had it dialed. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing all this right. And I went back to that expo that following year and I wanted help on a contest routine. And he said, all right, well, you know, let's hear what you got with this note and this note. And I did them and was, he's like, no, that's not, you're doing it wrong. And I'm like, I waited a year, you know? Yeah. I thought I had this figured out. So then I had, you know, and once you start bad habits, bad habits are, are very hard to break. And with the short read call, all the guys that, that can just 
really hammer on a call and rip a call. The thing that's impressive of guys is how they can sound like four, five, eight different geese. And it's all in control. It's all, it's, it, you know, it's not just blowing as much air as you can. It's what's impressive is how guys can control a call. And if, if that's your goal is to sound like a bunch of other geese, you have to walk before you run. Otherwise, it's just going to sound like a, a mess. There's definitely a mindset among hunters that they want to be the next guy to get the latest tweak on a call or the latest spit note or, you know, the latest moan, how to, how to moan the lowest, you know, as those geese are, you know, finishing or you're trying to bring them back. But I think you just hit on something that's extremely important. Uh, everything takes time. And when you are just from, when you're just starting to intermediate to all the way to the top, you know, once you have a jargon call, you're going to be able to do all those different calls. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So taking that, you know, taking that jargon call out into the field and with your one note, I think when you're saying walk before you run, you're talking about get something to the point that it's really good before you try adding difficult maneuvers to it. Yes? Yes. Sound like a goose before you try to do anything else. And a lot of the guys we hunt with, and I, I, I don't like it. I don't like this. We hunt with a lot of new people and, you know, the, you, whether it's you or Luke or any of these guys, talk about me calling in a, in a contest caller and people get intimidated. The people don't want to pick up a call then. And I don't want that. I, I don't like that. I, I can only sound like so many geese, right? So if, you know, if we got however many decoys out and that's the most fun part is calling. That's my favorite part. Any, anybody that has a call at waterfowl hunts, whether you're a contest caller or not, you're a goose hunter. That's the, that's the best part is calling. Uh, so I, I just, I tell people, well, what can you do? What kind of note can you do? They're like, well, all I can do is honk. Perfect then you're gonna honk. I don't care if it's every 30 seconds. You can count between, that's all you're gonna do is honk. Just every now and then, mix in a honk. Okay, what can you do? Um, well, I can honk and I can moan. Perfect, every time he honks, you moan. You're just gonna <laughs> listen to your buddy, okay? Well, well, all of a sudden, when you get six guys, you sound like a flock of geese, yeah. you know? I mean, does it sound natural, you know, some of the things I'm doing? Yeah, I mean, I sound like a lot of geese, but when you can sound like an, I, this is personal opinion, if you've got seven guys, however many guys you've got hunting, four guys, and each of you just do one note, you just try to be one goose. That's it. Just be one goose. I think it sounds so much better. Yeah, there's so. no doubt. And I think there's a lesson here, too, in a little bit of what you just said. Everybody who's ever on top, there are going to be people who like to throw the stones at the person on the top of the hill. And so, you know, I'm sure you've gotten through the years, you show up to hunts or you're at hunts and, oh yeah, he's a state champion goose caller. Oh, he thinks he's such a great caller. And you get the negative from that. And so every opportunity, when you meet somebody who's successful or you meet somebody with a network uh, in place that, that they're utilizing and that they're good at relationships, I always say you have two choices when you meet somebody who's awesome at something or better than you at something. You have the choice to be jealous of them and wish them failure, or you have the choice, the choice to enjoy their successes with them and wish success on them and learn from them. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in the field with Dave, with both of those kind of people. I've been in the field with people who uh, are tearing you down and, and, and they're jealous. And I've been in the field with those guys who say, hey, can you help me on this call? Do you encounter that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, and it's, I mean, I've never had anybody that's just been, you know, straight, really mean to me about the thing. It's just, 
usually it's a competitive thing is what it comes down to. It's like, oh, this guy's a steak. Okay, well, I can call better than him or I can call more. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a hunt and I never even picked up a call. And this, again, this goes back to that reading birds thing, but I never even picked up a call. I would just sit there because all of a sudden I've got six guys around me that all they want to do is sound like the most geese. They, you know, they want to, they want to be the ones calling the most. They, and that's fine. But then at that point I'm doing nothing. And don't you think in life too that uh, it's, it's common knowledge. You want to be better at tennis. You want to be better at golf. You want to be better at calling. Insert the sport, insert, insert the activity. Go with somebody who's better than you. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to say this person's better at this from me and learn uh, what they've got to teach you uh, rather than to be jealous of it. Because if it were for me having to be the best, I wouldn't accomplish anything in this whole life, I'll tell you that. The things I've learned from other waterfowl hunters, and I think this applies to it, and this, is, this has been a life lesson for me, the more you waterfowl hunt, the more decoy spreads you set up, the more you call, the more wind you try to guess, the more you realize every time you've got more to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can agree with that more. And to touch on that, I'm by no means am I the, the greatest goose caller. Um, and I, 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 you know, want to do a lot more of these contests outside of Wisconsin. And, and this year, that's my goal is to travel with these. I'd like to go to worlds and compete there. Um, but like you just said, last, the last contest that I blew in, in, in the state of Wisconsin, the, for people that don't know the Wisconsin contest, uh, it's only open to Wisconsin state callers. So you don't get the out of state guys. Right, so you, you don't get a big gathering of people to come to this. It's only people in the state. So, with that, a lot of the judges are also from the state. And um, this previous year, or I'm sorry, it would have been the, the last year I won. Um, they had they had it at a different venue, and they tried to make it a waterfall event. And Kyle Jones ended up being there for Higdon at the time. And I'm like, I you know I. Obviously, I know who he is. I mean, he's a, he's a world champion goose caller. He's the best. And I was talking to him like, oh, dude, this is awesome. Are you, are you judging the goose contest? And he's like, no, I, I'm not. I mean, I would if they wanted me to. And I went right over to the contest director, and I'm like, I don't know how many judges you have, but he has to be in it. He's a world champion goose caller. If there's anyone that's going to know a routine and be able to judge, it's him. And I'm, it wasn't that I'm, you know, I'm not buddies with him. It was just... My whole thing with it was whether I took first or last or third, whatever place I took, I was so looking forward to blowing my routine. And then at the end of the contest, going up to him and asking, okay, this was the caller number I was. How did you, what did you grade me on? How, what do I need to do different? Yeah. That was, that was, that was the first thing I thought of. I want to just keep getting better. I want to keep getting better and better at contest calling. I want to get better at, at calling live geese. And like you said, you keep practicing, you keep learning. Now for me, I still, when I scout, I spend so much time looking at that field. You know, I don't just, okay, there's geese there. Let's go knock on the door and get it. And let's hunt it tomorrow morning. And that's it. I spend so much time before knocking on that door, just looking at the geese and figuring out where are they in the field? What are they doing? Is tomorrow's weather going to be the same to where they're probably going to do the same thing? Is it cloudy, (laughs) sunny? Is the wind going to be more? All that. You know, I'm thinking of that right away. And then the second thing I do is I just, I just watch them. And you just listen to them and you hear the noises and the sounds and, and same thing. And the, the best thing is the spring. They get so vocal in, when they're in their mating pairs. Yeah. But when I was a little kid, I used to have my dad drop me off at, at Negawaki Lake at the beach there. 
in the spring to any time of year. That's what I wanted to do. That's all I ever wanted to do. I would do my homework and then I would ask him if he could take me to this pond or this lake and I would just sit there with the goose call and I would just watch two geese and I would just listen to them. And I, to, even now you got YouTube. I can't tell you, I mean last week. I just go, you just go on YouTube and just type in feeding geese, feeding Canada geese. And there's some guy that was, I mean, uh, who knows who he is, has a five minute video that he took because he saw a bunch of geese in his field and it looked cool to him, so he posted it. Well, I'm watching the video because I want to listen to him. You're trying to listen to him and, and impersonate their calls. And I think that's something that's so important. So many people see, they do that. They see a flock of geese or a hundred geese or 200 geese. They knock on the door, they want the permission. They're gonna be there the next day. And you're, you're probably gonna kill geese. But what you're missing about this lifestyle, the follow life lifestyle, the provider lifestyle, is the enjoyment of the entire experience. And for those who don't know it, I think part of our obligation is to get them uh, introduced to it. And that's why it's so important to take people hunting for the first time, foster them along a little bit. But what you're talking about when you sit there and you're watching the geese and you're watching them have a conversation, you're watching their jargon. Yes. if you will. Yep. And when you learn their jargon, you're much better at recreating it. Absolutely. And you're gonna have a more successful hunt. But everything about waterfowl hunting and living a fowl life lifestyle is not just about pulling the trigger. Man, I'm having just as much enjoyment watching them because when they're landing in that field, that's not maybe where they're feeding. They may be landing in a different spot, walking to where they feed, and you can watch how those family groups will converge and separate, and you can think of decoy spread differences as you see those birds move into their groups. You can watch dominant geese, then you have ideas about how many sentries you want to put out with how many feeders, because you literally watched it the day before, and you saw them interact, because those birds are social, just like people. Absolutely. I like to liken it you know, to a bar. You're in a bar, groups of people intermingle between the groups and they're talking and sometimes there's laughing and sometimes there's whispering. And all those things happen on a goose field and, and, and on a duck field and then you introduce the ducks into the group. And when you see that scout for two minutes, you're getting a very, very small snapshot of the bigger picture. You're missing the movie. So I think that's really important when you get out there and you're scouting, watch those birds, get your binoculars out, see what they're doing, listen to them. And I think that that is, that is an absolute key that you brought up here. And, and I think that's a perfect time to wrap up this podcast. What an awesome uh, pleasure it's been. What a great honor it is to hunt with you on such a regular basis, Dave, uh, to be next to you in the blind. And uh, I'm just so excited for you to, to continue teaching me how to use the jargon calls uh, more often and better. It, they're just fantastic and they sound great. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Joel Clayfish here with Dave Nelson on the Follow Life Podcast. <laughs>